In Jim Collins' iconic book, Good to Great, he describes the flywheel. An organization's flywheel consists of some core practices that, when executed consistently, drive organizational excellence. If you've been listening for a while, you've heard me reference the flywheel, but we've never done a deep dive on it. The basic flywheel for schools goes like this. Provide professional development for teachers, follow up with targeted observations, and then use that observation data to inform the next round of PD. When we execute this cycle over and over again, we grow great teachers, and great teachers equals great schools. Now, let's be real and let's be clear. The flywheel is going to look different in different schools. This fall in Apex, we'll be focusing on building each part of the flywheel. So I thought it would be a good time to bring back one of our most popular guests to talk about her instructional team and what that flywheel concepts, concept looks like in her school. Hello colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Frederick Buskey. The goal of this podcast is to help improve the life and leadership of assistant principals. And today I'm joined by Dr. Melissa Burns, the principal at Sarah Collins Elementary School in Greenville, South Carolina. Melissa is here with us today to help us think about the instructional leadership team, AKA the ILT. Hello, Melissa. Hi, Frederick. Thanks for having me back again. Uh, I'm so glad to have you back. Uh, for newer listeners, Melissa was a guest way back on episode 15, in which we talked about nurturing leaders, nurturing leadership in others. And I'm recording this episode on June 14th, and it should launch on June 23rd. Astute listeners will realize that last week's guest, Maria Werner, mentioned Melissa multiple times as one of the biggest influences on her leadership development. So Melissa, We've already been talking about you, and I'm so excited to have you on the show. Well, thank you. I'm flattered, but there have been certainly uh, people who have helped develop me. And of course, I always learn from people that um, actually internship with me and work with me, of course. That, I think that's the theme that keeps coming up. And, and sometimes it gets lost in all the day-to-day stuff that we do. But, but to step back in June here and really think about that that kind of chain, right? The chain of the people that mentored you and made an influence on you. And now you're doing that for other people and Maria and Matt and other people that you've mentored are, are going to continue that chain. And I think that's one of the beautiful things of being an educator, being a teacher, but especially being a leader is that we get to take those things from wonderful people and then hand them down for the next generation. I agree. And uh, someone told me early on in my college, uh, in my career, uh, that I will learn from my colleagues what to do and what not to do. (laughs) The important thing is to know the difference and then figure out what I'm going to do. Oh, absolutely. So for those who have not listened to to the previous episode or who have memories like mine, can you tell us briefly where how you got to where you are today? So um, this will be my 30th year coming up, so I'll try to make it brief. Uh, Started out in Spartanburg 6 as a teacher, middle school teacher and administrator, and then moved to uh, Wake County, North Carolina, and um, was assistant principal there at elementary. Came back to Greenville, South Carolina, where I was a middle school administrator again, 
back to Raleigh for about eight years where I became a principal at an elementary school. And this has been my 11th year at Sarah Collins. So I think all of that adds up to about 29. <laughs> <laughs> After the last two, it may feel like a bit more than that. <laughs> so we always like to start with a celebration. What are you celebrating today? Um, I am celebrating um, some planning, and I feel like I, I've accomplished a lot just this morning. You're speaking about the instructional leadership team, had an opportunity to meet with our instructional coach this morning, and we um, we have four different things going on, uh, sessions going on this summer, and we actually thought we'd get through half, and we have plans for all four, so I'm celebrating that. <laughs> that sounds like a big win. Yes. So the premise of this episode is pretty simple. Great teachers equals great schools. Of course, the million dollar question is, how do we get great teachers? And the short answer and the obvious one, I guess, is we grow them. So great principals put intentional structures and processes in place that help focus the school's instructional leaders on developing and supporting teachers. And these structures and processes look different in each school. So let's dig in and hear what they look like at Sarah Collins. We'll focus on four elements, the instructional team, the instructional leadership team, observations, the use of data, and professional development. So let's start with this. If you're implementing a new curriculum or teaching program or practice, what does that process look like? So it depends on the program or the process. If it's software, if it's a textbook adoption, if it's a practice, um, then we are going to first uh, get information from our district um, where, so that we align, of course, with our district strategic. Uh, then we're going to put it into our school goals and we're going to um, get district leadership to provide professional development, not just for our administration team, but also for our instructional leadership team, as you mentioned. From there, we will bring in teacher leaders. Um, we do ask for teacher volunteers. Um, who have the time, additional um, interest, and so developing those who can give, um, depending on where they are in their career and um, what their other obligations and priorities are, but bringing them in and then come alongside them so that we can learn together and then we can continuously uh, monitor progress on what's going to be best practice. Okay, I just lost the last bit of that sentence, I think. Best practice? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and I'll link back again to your, your previous um, show where we talk about growing leadership and that exactly you're just talking about one of the things that we talked about previously, that being intentional about finding teachers that are ready to take on that leadership role. And I love using them in the instructional realm, which is you know where their expertise lies. So let's think about this as then implementing a practice, focusing on a specific teaching practice. What then becomes the role of your ILT? So our instructional leadership team, we um, actually go into the classrooms, we monitor, we, and we're doing learning labs, learning walk, um, and instructional rounds. They all look a little bit different, but depending on what the data is that we collect when we go in to observe 
different than just the classroom observations that are used for evaluation. That's more where we are monitoring to see if what we've actually put into practice is being effective with the students. But on the front end, if we are implementing a new um, process or strategy, it's to first review what that strategy or teach what it is, then to go in and coach, we have um, instructional coach and a literacy coach, but to provide that support, whether that's through a coaching cycle, observation, co-teaching, there are various models. Okay, so our instructional coach and our um, in literacy specialist, they would go in and coach, have um, coaching cycles or co-teach with the teacher, um, demonstrator model. Um, then the assistant principal, uh, and assistant administrator, we both refer to them as assistant principals at our school, that um, we would go in more on an observation round to monitor the consistency, or either we're just going in for, um, if we're doing an instructional round, then it's not observation, it is to see if the strategies are being implemented consistently across the grade level. So leadership team though, Frederick. We also have our school counselors and they play a big role depending on what it is that we are, um, what we're discussing that particular day. Okay, so I, I wanna go, I wanna go back to um, just that follow-up process because I mm -hmm. think that's one of the things, it, you know, it sounds really simple, PD, observe, and then use that data to inform. But there are some detailed pieces that go into that. And, and we just kind of hit, I think on, on three of them really, which is how do you know what your look fors are? So you do a specific, um, specific piece of professional development. You've got to know exactly what you're looking for when you go in. You're not going to go in with a 2.0 rubric you know, for something right. really specific. So I'd like you to talk you know, in the weeds about that process of how you figure out exactly what you want to look for. And then how you coordinate kind of the observation schedule. Let's just do those two. Okay. So if you're talking about an instructional round, we are just monitoring, um, for instance, a writing lesson. And if we go in, we will meet prior to the instructional round and we will talk about what are the look for, what are the students doing in particular, not so much what the teacher is doing, but what are the students doing. And that's the biggest thing about the, um, the biggest focus in an instructional round. Are the students engaged? Are they asking questions? Are they um, interacting with other students? Are they collaborating? Is the work that they're doing meaningful and purposeful? Does it align with the um, particular standard that they are covering for that particular lesson? So those are some look forwards. And then once we go in, we talk to some students, we monitor what each one, what they're doing around the classroom. And then we walk out, we leave a little note for the teacher just to say thank you for um, letting us come in to um, observe your class today. And then we will go back after after we've um, been into, say, five or six classrooms, then we'll go back and calibrate our responses and see, okay, in classroom A, B, C, D, we, again, this is not a teacher observation. So we go back and we calibrate and we pull out, what is it that we were looking for? Did we see that? And do we need additional um, support or instructional help um, for individuals or for the whole grade level, uh, depending on what we observed. 
So I love that. And, and I'm glad you're clear about this is not teacher observation, right? And, and one of the things I'm trying to do is, is introduce the language that differentiates the kind of observations that we do, because it is hard when we say we're going to go do an observation, that could mean a lot of different things. And, and so I, I use the term of normative evaluation or normative observations. So that's when we're looking across a group for something that is for a specific look for, um, for professional development. And so that data, I think that data is always collective data. It's not something that we break out at the individual level. So when you do observations and you gather that, the kind of normative data about here's, here's the state of implementation, do you, do you share that data with teachers and then talk about that process of coming together as a team and really talking and how you use that data and what you do with it? We do. We talk about it more in generic terms. Again, it's not a teacher observation. So we do go back and we discuss with them during a PLC. Well, collectively or overall, this is what we observed. Um, this is what the students were doing. This is the level of engagement. One of the big takeaways we've had are the level of questions. And we've really honed in and focused on intentional questions and levels of questions that we need to ask. Um, so that was a big takeaway. Also, how much are they writing? When we were actually um, observing the writing lesson, how much is the teacher doing? How much are the students doing? Because a lot of times there's modeling, but then we have to give time for the students to actually do their writing as well, um, to get their ideas on paper or on the computer. So it just varies on how we go back and share that. So if you've done a professional development and let's say we're looking at writing prompts maybe, mm-hmm. um, and you go back and you follow up and the, the implementation's not what you had expected. Talk about this kind of the, what the specific conversation might be like of bringing this data to a group of teachers and how, how do you, how do you have that discussion in a way that, that, you know, they receive that and it's okay, we need to learn more. So I think one of the things that our instructional coach and our literacy coach, what they've done Um, let's say there was a particular program that's phonics-based that's in kindergarten. They shared the program. We went in and did instructional rounds to see how it was being implemented. And then afterwards, what we did is we shared the data as far as this is what was observed, but we also got teacher input. Okay, let's go back to the model. What were those core components? And, And let's make sure that we hit those where all of the components of what we observed So it's kind of a review of what should have been there. And they're like, oh, hey, well, maybe this part we can strengthen as a team. So sometimes it's not going in and telling the team, but having them come about it based on, A, their implementation themselves, but also what it was that was observed when people came in there. And I'll even extend it, Frederick, in saying that there are some teachers that in those conversations will say, but this is the way I implemented or I did it or if someone has really good results, it's that extension of, well, how can we get the other teachers in to observe how she did it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or he? I love that because that's, I think that's, that's one of the things that is so powerful when we gather that data and we share it with the teachers and then we ask for their feedback mm-hmm. because that, that flips it. Just like you said, we're not coming in and telling you what to do. We're coming in and saying, hey, 
Here's the results. This is something we all agreed was important. Here's where we're at. Let's look and let's see what's happening. And you talk to us so that we can support you. It flips that script that the school administrators and other members of the team are here to support the teachers. And, and it makes that real. We always want to say that, but that makes it real when we're collecting the data for them and then providing it and then facilitate, facilitating that conversation where they get to, to, you know, ask us for, you know, what they get to, to ask for the help. Mm-hmm. It gives them the ownership. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you have a bigger um, ILT than maybe some people do. Can we talk about the different members on your team and how you differentiate roles and responsibilities? Because I know that's a question I get a lot from APs. They go, oh, can I do this? Because I don't want to step on my instructional coach's toes. So for our different members of our instructional leadership team, our assistant principals, whether it is looking at the managerial and uh, roles and responsibilities of safety, um, what's happening around the school, but also instructionally. That's our primary focus when we come together as a team. Uh, Both the assistant principals, our instructional coach, our literacy specialist, but also our school counselors are a part of this. Um, During the last couple of years, the instruction has been more so on protocols, changes, Um, pivoting if we needed to as far as um, what we needed to do to ensure students were um, instructionally uh, taught, whether it was in person or virtually, Um, looking at assessments, taking that data, whether it be at the beginning of the year, looking at SE Pass, SE Ready, but then during the year, we have formative assessments throughout the school year, and we use those so that we can go into our our PLCs for each grade level. And we use the data, for instance, mid, late October, we take our quarterly benchmarks and um, our benchmarks at the beginning of the school year to ensure that we can differentiate instruction for all students. We have um, our response to intervention uh, literacy groups. We also have a math interventionist Um, due to additional funding that we've been able to implement. Those students who need the additional, we can pinpoint by standard based on these benchmarks so that we know what they need in regards to um, filling in any gaps. However, what about the students that need enrichment? They've already, you know, obtained these standards. So what can we do for enrichment for them? And, and so are all those people actually in your ILT meetings? That's a lot, that's a lot of folks. And um, so let's talk about that ILT meeting. And I think you mentioned that um, you have a set agenda. So can you join a, just tell us a couple of the agenda items that are on there? So big topics, we take our professional development calendar and we look at what our um, areas of focus and our school goals Um, predominantly is going to be our ELA and math and what is our professional development, what is our instruction. We do review lesson plans. Again, we go over assessments, what we're planning for each professional learning community. Um, Also, a big focus has been social emotional learning. So what can we do to go in, whether many lessons um, on track with resource that we use so that we can pinpoint the needs of each student through social emotional behavior, um, that's where our counselors pay a, play a big role. 
what are their supports and what is their role in the instruction. Okay, and so then how, how do you differentiate people's responsibilities then within that team, especially when it comes to going out and, and doing the observations, um, providing feedback to teachers? How do you coordinate that between, it would be yourself, your assistant principal, and then your instructional coaches? So it depends if we are doing a classroom observation and it's for evaluation, then that would be the two assistant principals and me. We monitor lesson plans, we go in to observe, we have a, a rotation depending on um, what, uh, if they are informal or formal, if they're a new teacher and need additional support. Based on what we observe, um, then the instructional coach, literacy specialist may need to go in and provide additional support instructionally or with assessments. Um, also, just depending on the students' needs and the staff members' needs, our um, school counselors, they can intervene as far as helping with families, helping with students so that they're ready to learn when they come to school. And as well, if um, there are teachers who need interventions or supports as well. So one of the big sticking points is always, how do I get in the classroom? And I know a lot of teams I've heard where everybody commits to doing a certain number of observations. And then the next week they come back and three out of four people say, yeah, I, I didn't get there. Um, I know that's not something that's going to happen on your team. So talk about how you decide who's going to observe, how you do you have an observation schedule, and then how do you hold each other accountable? So that is pretty tricky, especially when you have other things that come up, such as um, contact tracing or some of these other things that we didn't even know about a couple of years ago. Um, but also there are um, emergencies that come up, a parent comes in, there's a bus situation, discipline, there are things that happen. Um, what we do is we do have a rotation, we do have a schedule. Each person, each teacher is to be evaluated at least um, four times. So we do have in place and we do each week, we look to see who has been able to get in. If someone was not able to get in, we have actual people who are assigned to us so that we do their um, goals at the beginning of the year. We monitor, we meet with them again mid-year and the end of the year. However, we have a rotation as far as certain grade levels that during a three or four week period, I understand what you're saying. We tried uh, several years ago when I first started, we were trying to do it weekly. And it's like, I didn't get into third grade. Oh, third grade is my week this week. So who did you not see or who did you see? So we actually did bigger chunks of time. So we know days or even possibly 21 days, two to three weeks, that these are the three sets of people. It could be related arts, special education, and first grade. Okay. And then I know in about three or four weeks that I'm going to have kindergarten, second grade, and fifth grade, a different set of teachers. And we look to see, do they need an informal? Do they need a walkthrough? Do they need a formal observation? So, and we actually have it on a chart to where we put the date and our initials. And then um, some we're able to do with a great walkthrough um, tool on our iPad, if it's a walkthrough or an informal. And again, it is student led as far as we're going to see what the students are doing in our um, HR um, portal that we need to put in those required formals. That's a little bit more in depth. Okay. And I want to go back and every one of your teachers has a growth goal for the year. Yes. And that is based on our school goal usually. And they use a, 
a particular set of data, whether it's FastBridge, whether it's Mastery Connect, depending on one of our district resources so that they can measure the growth. And you have an individual administrator or maybe a coach in some cases assigned to each teacher to, to help them and support growth on that goal area? Yes. So the two assistant principals and I, we divide the staff. So we each have, uh, and actually the assistant principal and I have more than our um, administrative assistant who also functions as an assistant principal, but we do make sure that those duties are, are a little less. Yeah. I, I get, I should clarify for listeners. I, I don't know how unique it is. A lot of districts don't have the AA. So in Greenville, um, Oftentimes, when you make that first jump from a teacher into administration, you go in as an administrative assistant, which is a junior AP. Uh, and then from there, you move into assistant principalship and, and then on to principalship, hopefully one day. So yeah, that AA is an AP almost. Correct. And uh, talk about, I guess, the let's talk about the role of coaching in developing teachers and who, who does coaching and again, how the ILT fits into that coaching process. So you were talking, um, asking earlier about how to get into the teacher's classrooms and that can be um, interesting depending on relationships. One of the things that the administrators on our team, we try to do is we try to be very visible, stopping by, not just stopping at the door, but actually walking into the classroom, not for an observation, but just walking into the classroom, just to monitor, see what's going on. And I've even explained to teachers, it could be that I have um, an IEP meeting coming up and I don't know this student well, or I may want to see them in art class and see them during science class. So the teachers are used to us walking into class, maybe just checking on a student or two and then walking out or coming by just to see how the day's going. So I think visibility and that frequency, that helps teachers to know um, it's not a gotcha model. We're just coming in as a support. Um, as far as coaching, that is specific to our instructional coach and our literacy specialist. We also have a math interventionist. So those three people, they can do it on um, teachers' care, but also we intentionally ask teachers. We are um, working on the new Lucy Calkins units of writing. Okay, who on the grade level would like to take this on. We're going to do a coaching cycle. The instructional coach is going to come in. We're going to look at the unit planning. Um, I will come in and we'll co-teach a lesson. I'll model, then you'll teach, we'll teach together, and then we'll follow up. So a lot of times it's voluntary. Also, depending on um, if there is a new implementation or we need to go ahead and start something, we'll ask for volunteers. Sometimes we strategically, um, we'll ask, because we know that that teacher needs growth in a particular area. Okay, so teachers are accustomed to actually having leadership come and ask them or ask for volunteers to focus on one implementation thing. So then that person gets the intentional coaching and support on that thing. And then is your hope that that, that then transfers over because you've built the instructional capacity on that grade level team? Yes, since they plan um, by subjects, then that is to help that teacher become the leader of that particular subject and resource or, or whatever it happens to be for that subject. Okay, all right. 
wow, there's a lot going on there. Mm-hmm. And, and we're talking about professional development at those different levels. Um, sometimes you've got that evaluative component. So maybe somebody's dealing with something that's um, they need to take care of. Uh, we also have the normative observations going on. Um, and then we've got formative things for individual teachers. In, in doing all of the observations and the different kinds of observations that you do, do you ever run into a situation where one teacher maybe is getting kind of too much feedback or, or they're getting feedback on too many different things? Um, It depends on if it's the administration, then we look at our um, record keeping so that we sure that we don't go in. That has happened before where um, I went in and then one of the assistant administrators went in the same week and the teacher thankfully was a veteran was like, whoa, why am I being observed twice in one week? And it just happened, like I said earlier, they didn't finish up from the week before and it overlapped. Um, But it just depends. Um, Some teachers need more support than others. And it may be a veteran teacher. Um, Take balanced literacy, for example. If you've been accustomed to teaching one way, but we actually have teachers coming out of college who teach in a balanced literacy approach, but say a 20-year veteran is having to learn a new uh, technique, a new new strategies, new methods, then um, it actually may be welcomed and invited. Could you come help me with guided reading groups? I'm not sure. And it's encouraging too when there's accountability, I have found, not in a sense of, um, but it's a checkup, not in a punitive, you're not doing this, but how can we help support you? Because we've noticed in your lesson plans, we don't see guided reading groups. So we've come into a observe in the classroom, when are your guided reading times? How how did you get your students grouped? So sometimes it's just asking questions after those observations. Yeah, and thank you, thank you, thank you for that, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're asking teachers to do something, we're providing training on them, with them to do something, and then we should be in there, we should be following up and making sure that that time wasn't wasted for the teacher, that that time wasn't wasted for the kids. So I love that. Mm-hmm. So in an example, in the example that you just mentioned, where we have a teacher that you're wanting to work with um, balanced literacy. So in your ILT meetings, will you actually talk about that teacher and that that's the focus? And so then when people are in that classroom, that's what they're looking for. And any kind of feedback would be focused on that. Is it that yeah. coordinated? So sometimes it is that coordinated. If there's something in particular we've had a focus on, say guided reading, then our next couple of weeks, those observations, we would try to go in during that literacy block just to see um, if we can even narrow it down, which we have to read alouds. Um, We did an instructional round about read alouds. Okay, so we really had to be strategic with timing. Teachers knew we were coming in during that read aloud time. But then when we go in to do the longer block of um, observation, then we want to make sure that we get that read aloud time or guided reading or, or writing, whatever that block happens to be that our focus has been. Okay, awesome. So I, I want to try to kind of summarize this and and pull all these different threads together we've we've bounced around a little bit um and partly it's complicated right and and the idea of the flywheels again it's simple professional development follow up with our observations use that data from those observations then to plan future uh, professional development and we just talked about an example where um, you're bringing in kind of a specific program and and so you train 
And then you all go out and you do the look for us and we take that data and we meet with our teachers and talk about where we are and then what's the next step they need for that implementation. So that's one way the flywheel works when we're talking about that kind of normative level where we're working with groups of teachers. You also talked about working with individual teachers. So somebody really is trying to focus on that guided reading. So maybe our coach provides support on the guided reading. And then when we're going in and doing our observations that week, for that particular teacher, we're paying attention to the guided reading. And then we use that data to figure out what the next, next steps are for that individual teacher. So I think it's, it's important for people to understand that, that the concept doesn't change, but who's doing what and the kinds of observations we're doing is gonna change based on whether we're working with a group of people or maybe only, only one teacher. But either way, it's the same process and, and that's what you have going on. Yes. And another, I would say, that has been really instrumental with our teachers is when we do go and observe um, a teacher, say she is doing a model lesson, she is that guided reading group that was flawless, her time, her procedures, routines. So what we may do is use that teacher as a model for another teacher who we may not see that has those structures, systems, routines in place, the instructional piece, have that teacher go and visit the other one. Um, using those master teachers. And it may be that their strength is in one area and not another, but using them as a model has always been very resourceful. Yeah, that's that's a great idea. And I, I think that's another thing to unpack. And that's why this is so complicated because what do we mean when we say professional development, right? We tend to think of the instructional coach or us doing something, or maybe they go off to a conference, but Peer observation is one of the most powerful forms of professional development there is. I agree. And I look forward to doing more of that and um, going to visit other schools. That happened at the end of the school year when we were doing a needs assessment for professional development. And we had just had a couple of teachers on one of our grade levels visit another school and how they were implementing a particular um, resource. And one of the other teachers said, you mean we could go visit other schools and like walk into their classrooms? We're like, yes, that's what we want to get back to doing that we haven't been able to do the last couple of years. So that's very powerful. That is very powerful as well. Yeah. You know, that reminds me of just a real quick story. When I was at the district office, I was special ed coordinator, but somehow got (laughs) involved with um, a big effort on, we were into quality tools. So this is back in the I remember early 2000s, Baldrige yeah. quality tools. Yeah. <laughs> Youngsters out there, you can go look at Google. Yes, I was around during those days. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there was some really cool stuff because really yeah. it was about gathering data and especially gathering student data and using that data to inform instruction, which is what we still talk about. Um, those were the early days and it was pulled from industry. So we were trying to implement, we had a big grant to implement in one school and boy, we had a couple of teachers who had just dug their heels in and they were not going to do this, this newfangled stuff. And it's understandable. They, you know, they'd been teaching a long time and they felt that what they were doing was good. So we actually took them, we were in Ohio and we took them down to a school in Florida that was just like the flagship school for doing the, the quality tools work. And we took them down and they became the biggest advocates for that when we went back to the school. It was really amazing, you know, and, and we, I think sometimes we do a disservice to teachers who are resistant because we just want to say, oh, get with the program. There are reasons, legitimate reasons 
why people are resistant. And if they're resistant, that's telling us that you know, either, either we haven't helped them see what the real value is, mm-hmm. or it's too much effort for the given value. And so we need to look at both sides of those equations. And I think the onus is on us to figure that out, not just to say, oh, you know, you're a stick in the mud and you're not, move, you're not with the program. I think most teachers want to know how. Sometimes they just need to see the model and that it can be implemented. Um, I'll give you a fun, quick example. Is, um, there was a second year teacher who was going through a, va- a formal evaluation. Veteran teacher came in as her third evaluator from the district, and it was about um, guided math groups. And when I met with the other teacher, she said, I was so impressed. I could not wait to get back to my school because I thought here I am as a veteran and I have to do what that second year teacher just did so well. And it was just a different approach and methodology, but she couldn't wait to get back to her students so that she could implement guided math groups, but she just needed to see it in action. Yeah. Yeah. Teachers working with teachers. Yeah. And I guess one more, because this is, this is so important. Teachers working with teachers and teachers learning from teachers. Um, Back, I can't remember the episode number, but we did, uh, Mary Hemphill was a guest a few episodes again, and she was talking about a teacher who just wasn't, her classroom management strategies, I think it was, were really bad, and she was not treating students well, and and instead of just coming down with the hammer, you know, Mary took her and said, let's go look at other classrooms, right? Let's see what you see in other classrooms, because we want you to be happy and feeling good about what you're doing in this profession. How do we make that work? I want you to go look at this. And, and that was, that was her strategy, not laying down the law and saying, you're going to follow this checklist, but saying you go look at other classrooms and then you come back to me and tell me what you want to implement in your classroom, because we're going to, people are going to learn more from each other than from somebody telling them what to do. Correct. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Uh, you mentioned the agenda. Would you be willing to share a copy of what that agenda looks like with me so that I can share that with sure. people? Absolutely. All right. Awesome. And, and that's something I, if people wind up in, in Apex this fall, I mean, that's one of the, the things that we'll actually teach on and train on is how do you implement an agenda? How do you put that into practice? And then what are the components that, that go in there? Because if you really are focused on growing teachers, you have to know where your teachers are and how you're mm-hmm. trying to support not just groups of teachers, but individual teachers as well. So you're right in there. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, and it's just one of many uh, versions that are out there. So yeah. Yeah. And everything has to be customized, um, but it's always nice to have that template to start with. Sure. Okay. Let's, let's put a wrap on this. Uh, and I always have those three questions at the end. So the first one is what part of your own leadership are you still trying to get better at? So, um, of course, professional, uh, personal balance, I think that will always be um, something that I will be uh, working on. But I think for this coming year, I think my biggest goal is getting back to a new normal. Um, I would say the start of 2019-20 is what we used to know. Now we've been through a couple of years with changes that um, have been good changes that we want to keep and then other things that we hope we never have to endure again. But um, I think starting with a new normal um, in making sure that our school-wide expectations, our town meetings that we have with our students, classroom management, like you're saying, we're going to have full classes again, making sure that we have a good foundation to start. Um, We have a very uh, 
a, a school that has very good involvement, parental involvement, volunteers. So a lot of our programs that we had in the past to get those up and running. So I think that's going to be um, my new big goal is a new normal. Yeah. Wow. We can all hope, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all right. If listeners could take away just one thing from today's podcast episode, what would it be? Um, use collaboration when working with others in your instructional leadership team. You have some fabulous, amazing leaders, teacher leaders, um, specialists, administrators, and collaborate. Um, it is the work of many that um, makes the difference. I love it. Takes a team. Definitely. Anything else you want to share? I just appreciate this opportunity. I love uh, digging deeper into some of this um, to reflect on some of the practices that we have in place, but also learn from many other people um, to figure out what we can continue to do better. I, I'm just really thankful you shared because I, I think this is one of those things that we all kind of feel like we should know, but it, it can be really complicated. And the way you've been able to just share and lay it out for us and, and to make it transparent and I think demystify some of what it takes to grow teachers and to do that collaboratively. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Melissa. This has been great. So listeners, if you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and rate this podcast. I'm always trying to improve the show. So if you have feedback for me, you can email me at frederick at frederickbuskey.com. That wraps up today's show. I am Frederick Buskey, and I hope you'll join me next time for the Assistant Principal Podcast. <laughs>